This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Dr. Avishkar Sabharwal. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. Stress was first described in 1936 as the non-specific response of the body to any demand for change. Every one of us experiences stress, whether physical or psychological, at some point in time in our lives. Stress affects us mentally and physically in a multitude of ways. I have with me Dr. Shirley Ramchandani. She prefers to go by Shalu. Dr. Ramchandani is both certified in internal medicine and obesity medicine. In a career spanning over 20 years as a primary care physician, she has managed many patients with obesity and related complications. She also trained as a health and wellness and a culinary coach and focuses on lifestyle and preventative medicine as the tool to help patients treat and reverse chronic disease. Her passion is to help her patients improve their health and achieve greater life satisfaction and well-being while making sustainable positive changes. Apart from her private practice doing weight management, she spends a part of her clinical time at the Benson Henry Institute for Mind-Body Medicine at the Mass General Hospital in Boston. She is also a part-time instructor at the Harvard Medical School and a faculty for the chef training program at the Institute of Lifestyle Medicine in Boston. Hi, Shalu. Welcome to our podcast. Tell us something about yourself. Hi, Ashkar. Thank you so much for inviting me to this podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Um, And thank you for that very kind introduction. Like you said, um, my journey did start in primary care. I practiced uh, for almost 20 years. And uh, during my time in primary care, I obviously managed a lot of patients over the years with chronic diseases, including cardiovascular disease, hypertension, type 2 diabetes. And what I witnessed was not only their decreasing quality of life as a result of their chronic diseases, but also really decreasing lifespan. And um, as you are aware, at least 80% of premature deaths in this country are related to lifestyle choices. That is very true. That is very true. You know, when I started my journey in medicine, initially, I thought that uh, it's just basically giving pills. But as I've come along, I've realized that lifestyle plays such an important role in your health. No, absolutely. And, um, and you know, obesity, I, as you know, is a major independent risk factor for developing a lot of these chronic diseases, including diabetes and hypertension and cardiovascular disease. Yeah. So, and I think uh, stress has a big role to play in obesity. You can see that stress has so many effects on the body, both the mind and your physical self. It's something that's often brushed under the carpet. And since you're also a part of the Benson Henry Institute for Mind-Body Medicine at uh, Mass General, I thought it would be great if we can talk about stress, which is something that's not really looked at uh, very carefully, at least not by the general public. So can you explain briefly what happens to the body physiologically in stress? 
No, absolutely. Um, like you said, Avishkar, I think you know that obesity is a chronic treatable disease that's very complex in management. And um, as obesity practitioners, we definitely apply lifestyle interventions as well as medications and sometimes surgery. So talking a little bit more about lifestyle intervention, however, that lifestyle medicine is a evolving field that is evidence-based treatment addressing the six pillars of our health, which obviously include sleep, hygiene, nutrition, physical activity, stress management, and then decreasing use of risky substances, but also the social connectedness. So I you know, became very passionate about the stress management piece because I realized for most of my population, a lot of their behavior was really controlled by the stress that they were under. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, if you if you look at those six pillars of lifestyle medicine uh, from a broader perspective, you realize that almost all of them, of course, barring stress, all of the others are kind of related to stress or interrelated with stress in one form or the other. One begets the other. So it's kind of like it's a bidirectional relationship between stress and the other uh, other pillars of uh, lifestyle medicine. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And um, and stress definitely can impact our behavior choices. Um, we know in terms of what we're eating, how much physical activity we get, and then how much we interact with other people as a result of our stress. But I found that mind-body medicine was the most effective ways to prevent and treat stress, um, which is why you know I um, became very passionate about this particular pillar of lifestyle medicine. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you talk about the, the effects of stress. Um, I would just like to point out to our listeners that stress affects us both mentally because it just does bring us down. And it also has, uh, it can have very profound physical effects. Like a lot of times patients will be experiencing these uh, symptoms, the GI symptoms, they'll feel uh, uneasy in their belly. Yeah. They can have uh, different types of pains that they experience. And psychologically, you know, if it's extreme acute stress, people can go into panic attacks or even psychosis. And we have seen that happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think stress is just one of those things that, um, you know, it's very misunderstood by the general population because there absolutely can be a good stress and then there can be bad stress. I mean, we are stressed under you know, circumstances like major life events, like loss of a loved one, loss of job. But we also are under stress when we have a happy event, like having a child, getting married. So, you know, there are different types of stressors. And then and then the, the biggest um, cause for chronic stress really are the everyday daily demands, which I think people really undermine. That's true. And I think it's the chronic stress that is, relates to obesity much more than the acute stress. And uh, it's interesting because when people look at it, they just look at it as stress. But of course, there's, like you mentioned, the good stress and the bad stress. And of course, you know, acute stress that remains for a short period of time after a, a situation occurs. And then there's a chronic stress that people go through. And I think when we talk about stress, it's the chronic stress that we talk about when it relates to obesity. Um, acutely, stress does decrease appetite, as we know from our biochemistry and the neurobiology. But persistently, if your cortisol levels are high, which does happen in stress, that kind of plays a detrimental effect on your body, causing you to have multitude of problems leading to obesity. 
Can you explain briefly what happens with chronic stress? It's absolutely true that acute stress, uh, which is predominantly an activation of your sympathetic nervous system response, can decrease your appetite because as you're familiar with the uh, flight or fight response, during an acute physiological stress, your body is just trying to use resources for it to flee from the threat uh, right. which is, and generally involves changes like increasing in your heart rate, increased respiratory rate, as well as shutting down of your digestive tract and really getting the blood flow to the muscles that need in order for you to escape from the acute threat. So certainly digestion is not something that we're focusing on in an, in an acute stress. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, um, but chronic stress which uh, is really a cumulative load of kind of minor sort of day-to-day stressors can repeatedly activate our stress response system and also increase the cortisol production from our adrenal glands. And, And we know now that cortisol is largely responsible for increasing the visceral fat that takes place in obesity, but also responsible for a lot of other hormonal changes, including increasing uh, other hormones like your neuropeptide Y, which is definitely involved in hunger regulation, as well as increasing your insulin, uh, which as we know is also a fat storage hormone, but it also affects your leptin, uh, which is, as we know, is, is a satiety hormone. And just the complex interplay between all of these hormones as a result of the elevated cortisol levels under chronic stress really does contribute to um, obesity. Stress is such a nebulous concept for so many people. And the way it relates to obesity, which is uh, such a concrete problem for so many people, is fascinating. And, you know, the other things that uh, stress does is it can actually impair people's self-regulation, which is very critical in obesity management. You have to be on your toes when you're with with regards to your eating and your physical activity. And also it does inhibit your cognitive emotion regulation. So basically your emotions are just flowing when you're stressed and that can often lead to emotional eating. Now, I want to point out to our uh, listeners something else that you know, stress is not unique to humans. Even animals experience stress and stress-induced eating. They've seen these patterns in various animal experiments as well. Stress also independently triggers the dopamine release, which is uh, the neurotransmitter that codes for pleasure and enhances desire for food. And um, like I pointed out in my previous podcast episode, when you have stress, you kind of lean towards the highly palatable foods which are invariably high fat and high sugar foods. The stress reward and the highly palatable foods, they form a positive feedback loop. No, you're absolutely right, Avishkar. You know, we know from the addiction literature studies that the brain reward circuitry is really the key player in the stress-induced eating, which, as you as you said, emotional eating is kind of what, how your patients will report to you. And really, it is the cortisol that sort of motivates us to seek out those calorie-rich food, um, which, like you said, stimulates the opioid release. And then that can be a really powerful defense mechanism that protects us from the detrimental effects of stress by decreasing the activity of the hypothalamic pituitary axis. 
And that helps to attenuate that stress response, which is why people feel better. Right. Yeah. And then they go for those foods again, because they know that that works. It's kind of like, you know, that's the medicine for stress. Exactly. Right. And unfortunately, it does, um, you know, lead to this, like you said, a vicious cycle for people when they're craving comfort foods at times of stress to help them counteract that stress. Right. And it also disrupts, you know, your sleep pattern. Stress has an impact on your sleep and also on your desire to do physical activity. So there are studies to show that people who are experiencing mental stress actually have less physical activity or want to do less physical activity when they're stressed. And uh, while the data for this is fairly strong, there is also some data to suggest that they independently spend more time being sedentary. Stress has an effect on all the pillars of lifestyle medicine, and that's why it's so important especially for people who are suffering from obesity. And, you know, the most important tool I I think we have right now really to offer to patients is teaching them various ways of how they can counteract stress using mind-body therapy approaches. Yeah, I think that's very, very important because the other aspect of stress is the fact that we have a huge problem of weight stigma in our society. There are various myths about obesity. And as a society, we often have uh, prejudiced views about patients suffering from obesity. People often have preconceived notions about these patients with obesity with regards to their professional competence and their personal lives, which has a profound effect on their psychological stress. It's not that these people have not tried to lose weight or they don't care about themselves. It's just that they have a chronic disease, just like diabetes or hypertension. And unfortunately, it's such a poorly understood disease state. The other aspect is the physicians, uh, especially primary care physicians in their offices, may not necessarily have the equipment um, that's important or that's essential in the care of patients with obesity. For example, you know, if the weighing scale doesn't go high enough, then uh, somebody suffering from obesity will feel even more embarrassed getting onto that scale because it reaches a max and and it ends there, subconsciously shaming them uh, about the fact that they are suffering from this disease. No, you are absolutely right, Avishkar. It's um, so important as a clinician to have a non sort of non judgmental attitude when they are seeing these patients because we have no idea how hard they've tried or what they have already been doing to help themselves because it is such a complex disease, um, the complex interplay between genetics, our environment, and stress. Yeah. So, so uh, Shalu, how do you help your patients uh, deal with these stressful situations? What are some of the things that people sitting at home or even at work can do to mitigate stress. I know that you know some of the places are experiencing COVID nineteen uh, across the globe, and that itself adds to the stress. Yeah, isn't that a million dollar question? <laughs> Especially right now. <laughs> um, yeah, no coping. Coping with feelings of stress can be very difficult for people, and you know I really try to explain to my patients to find sort of non food activities that they can do. Um, especially um, when they are feeling that stress. And for some people, that stress awareness is quite strong. You know, they will feel uh, obvious symptoms of either their heart racing or maybe even some tightening around their muscles. But when they start noticing that 
it is stress that they're experiencing, instead of reaching for the comfort foods, you know, maybe finding things like calling a friend, being socially connected with others. That is a very powerful tool, being with friends and family, as it helps to buffer your stress response. But also um, taking a walk. You know, exercise is a very powerful stress reliever. And then, of course, eliciting what we call the relaxation response is an opposite of the whole stress response. And it is a term that was coined by Dr. Herbert Benson in the 1970s. And basically, the definition of the relaxation response is anything that sort of breaks that train of everyday thoughts. So it could be practices like yoga, tai chi, meditation, use of prayer, even music. Really, any one of these strategies will help you to elicit that what we call relaxation response, which is kind of the predominant of your parasympathetic nervous system state, which is like you, like I said, the opposite that sympathetic nervous system. And what we have found is that people who are practicing eliciting their relaxation response definitely have more self-awareness, but are also able to more self-regulate. Right. I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all anyway. I think there are different, different ways you can uh, get a stress relief, but people have to find what works for them. Absolutely. It is, it is important to enjoy finding activities that they can relate to. But, you know, generally I do tell my patients that, you know, when they are feeling that kind of craving to kind of reach for that jar of cookies, you know, stop, really take a deep breath and reflect and then choose. Instead of sort of following our impulses, it is so important to just pause and just notice what is it that they're actually feeling. And perhaps maybe one of the other activities that we mentioned might help to relieve that, the, that craving. Right. I think, you know, if somebody goes out for a jog or an exercise, that's definitely a stress buster. A lot of times, uh, very commonly used uh, are breathing exercises uh, called abdominal breathing. So you take in deep breaths, basically have you feel your diaphragm going down and you feel your belly coming out and you take deep, slow breaths several times. And that has often helped me. I think our listeners can uh, very easily YouTube these exercises just to see how they're done so they have a better understanding of this. And that really, really helps uh, decrease the stress, at least transiently. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, I absolutely love doing my belly breaths. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, you know, I think it's really important that people do belly breaths even throughout their day. That's true. Because I think chronically it does increase the parasympathetic activity. And overall, if you keep doing it, it decreases your stress uh, in the long run. And, you know, I have to say that there is, um, you know, so much power behind sort of self-compassion and being nice to yourself that I do want to point out to your listeners that if they did give in to having a piece of chocolate or a treat, don't beat yourself up because, you know, we're our worst self-critics. Um, what I have found that if you are going to give in, it's important that you enjoy it and be mindful about it. The concept of mindful eating is really just focusing on practicing eating slowly, you know, which is without electronics, without TV, your phone, and really just enjoying something like taste, the smell, 
even the texture. And what's really important about the slow eating is that, you know, it takes our our brain 20 minutes to register from our stomach that we're actually full. So often people, when they are eating slowly and eating more mindfully, it really helps with their weight management because they don't tend to eat as much. That's true. And uh, the other thing um, I want to point out is there's no fun in feeling guilty after eating something that you really enjoyed. So, <laughs> so you should definitely enjoy what you're enjoying, but make sure uh, you know that what you're enjoying is not the best thing for you and then what you can do. Because a weight loss journey is a continuum. It's not black or white. It's not like once you're, you've done something and that's the end of it and that's where your weight loss journey ends, which is the way a lot of people feel that they ate a piece of chocolate and that's the end of their weight loss journey and they will never be able to lose weight. So one piece of chocolate or one piece of chocolate cake or a cookie uh, will not derail you. But it's just you have to be mindful of the fact that you ate that and then try and see what you can do better next time. Absolutely, Avishkar. I think we know we're all human and it's important to obviously notice that, you know, you you did have one piece of chocolate and that's perfectly fine. And, um, and really just kind of getting back on track. It never, never needs to be an all or nothing phenomena. I think it's really important to keep in mind that an 80-20 concept, which if you're great 80% of the time, and then if you had that chocolate treat, you know, 10 or 20% of the time, it's okay. It's okay. Exactly. The other important thing is People who have close ones who are suffering from obesity, it's important to not be judgmental per se, um, because that adds to the stress of the person suffering from this disease, and it doesn't really help with the problem. No, I couldn't agree more. People often downplay their stress, but I think it's so important in their weight loss journey. And for people who have near and dear ones who are suffering from this chronic disease. So that wraps up today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Shalu, for joining in. Thank you, Avishkar, for having me. That was a pleasure. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests. They do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of this show. Thank you so much for listening in. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info.